Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. I'm very excited. It's It's been too long since we've been able to do one of these. We are now in the season four halftime show, and I'm sitting here with my brother-in-arms, Paul Jobson. Paul, how you been over the last few months? Good, man. It's been a long, been a long time. We talked on here, but I've seen you since then, at least, yes. right? I mean, we've yes. seen each other face-to-face, which is we don't get to do hardly ever. So that was cool. And uh, yeah, just plugging along here in the final third of a college soccer season. But a lot of cool things have happened on this show since we last talked with the offseason talks and whatnot. We'll get into that, I'm sure. But yeah, things are things are going well on this in this part of the country. How about yourself? Well, you know, yeah, you mentioned we got to see each other. I mean, it was like all these things we're talking about on the podcast kind of came together. It was this beautiful summer where we had did some disc training with your team. I got a warrior way hat. I mean, what the heck? I mean, what else do you need? I don't yeah. know. I, I got, I mean, you're looking here. If you're watching the video, I got, I even, you know, I, I got a shirt at Baylor. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot more than that too. So even got some Torchies tacos while I was in, it wasn't Austin, but it was still in Texas. So, you know, that's all right. But yeah, yeah so it was, it was a good time out there with you guys and was able to, I, I enjoyed over the summer being able to be little part of, of of your team and seeing you guys doing doing well this season we and uh, having you out too i mean this this stuff sits on my desk because i prepare for player meetings and whatnot got my charts and just it's uh, been a helpful helpful thing so i will highly encourage the uh, the disc training for for teams it's been helpful for us for sure so quick plug there Phil, sorry, well, hey, I, I didn't even think that was happening. Don't don't apologize. <laughs> That's okay. I I, I condone that uh, that message. I I I too encourage that just because I've seen the impact of it, and I'm glad to hear that it's it's making the impact that I that I expected it to. But also, we've had these off season talks that we did since the last post match show that you and I did together. Some people are like, you guys have done stuff together because you had these off season talks, but we never did any of those together. You got to do one with your wife. That was pretty cool. A couple of them yeah. with Marcy. Yeah. That was cool. That was a lot of fun and, and not realizing that that was her first podcast. I was like, I thought she had done a lot of podcasts. And so we introduced her to the podcast world, hopefully get her on here, get her on here with you at some point as well. But uh, yeah, that was fun talking to her and just talking through our Worry Worry program and kind of what God's doing through that. It's been, was a cool, cool conversation that we have anyway, but it was fun to do it for other folks. Yeah, definitely. And and folks out there, if you're just if you're just kind of tuning in on this to to hear the Ted Lasso conversation about episodes seven and eight, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that in a little bit. If they, but hopefully, if you have, if that's the only reason you came on, and this is your first taste of how soccer explains leadership, strongly encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes we've had with some of these amazing guests. We just mentioned those off season talks, which were kind of a cool little thing. We just thought we'd try. And I uh, got some really good feedback on those. So go back and listen to those. Those are just little principles, 10, 15-minute episodes where, where Paul or, or I talk about these, these different things that are, that are really important to us. Paul, as he said, talked with Marcy about their Warrior Way program, which is an amazing thing they're doing out there in Waco, and, and potentially looking to, to expand across the country. So that's something that's, that's interesting to you. That might be something to, to be thinking about. What, that might, what might that look like in my community? But beyond that, we have these incredible guests that we're able to get on the show. And this season, 
season four is no exception to that. We've had Diego Bocanegra at University of Houston. We had Lance Key at University of, of Louisiana, as well as Will Russell, a uh, marketer. He's in Russell Marketing, doing some cool stuff there, but he's also a big, huge fan of, of the game and played and, and works with Street Soccer USA as well. And then Tracy Ham, who's at UC Davis, the women's coach there, she also is one of the few women in the world to have received the UEFA A coaching license. And so I, I encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't done so already. But I also want to just talk with you a little bit, Paul, about the the common themes that came out of those as I go back and I just listen to those and I just, you know, read the transcripts and I just, you know, think through some of these big things that are going on in the world of soccer right now. You know, I know that the United Soccer Coach conventions are coming up in the in the next few months and I'm sure these things are going to be coming up. Anybody that you talk to who's talking about soccer in the U.S. in particular, but also global, are talking about a lot of these things. And and the first one is really just the idea that, that soccer is, is becoming a rich man's sport in the U.S. It's becoming, maybe isn't becoming, it's become um, really an elitist. Um, making So the idea of making high-level youth soccer more accessible to impoverished communities, to people who aren't um, as wealthy as others, you know, and I know that Diego's episode was actually called giving you soccer back to the kids. Right. And I, and I think you and I have talked about these things as well. You know, what, what, what do you think about that? And, you know, as you listen to Diego's episodes, you listen to, you know, we've talked on clubhouse with him about this stuff too. And what are your thoughts on that? Just how we can do that if it's an issue, so on and so forth. Yeah. I think that, you know, money is, is a big, a big part of it, right. It becomes a money grab for, you know, you've got a lot of youth coaches that have, poured their life into being come, becoming a, a coach and mentor to young people and find opportunities to, to, to make money doing it and not just a hobby is attractive to coaches. And I think when that happens, it takes away, you know, it's the haves and the have-nots. The haves can, can pay for good coaching and the ones that don't have the money can't pay for it. And I think what we've got to do is we've got to find a way to combine the, these profitable soccer organizations to reach out to those who, who can't afford. And that's one thing I think we're trying to do uh, here in Waco. And we're a small community. We're not a big, a big massive city like a Dallas or Austin or Atlanta or something like that. But, you know, how can we combine our quote unquote professional coaches in, in the league that we're doing, uh, organization we're doing, so that they can still make some money? But how can we bring in kids who can't afford access to what we're doing as well? And I think that's I think we've got to do a better job of, of finding those opportunities in our in our local communities. And I think if each local community can commit just to their zip code, you know, or their, their local areas, I think we can make a massive impact. But, I mean, I remember growing up and, and playing club soccer with volunteer coaches. I mean, my, mm-hmm. we talked about our parents coaching us. My dad didn't get paid to coach me. And I played select soccer with him until I was probably 15 or 16 years old at a, at a a high level. And, and so, you know, I think those models can still exist, but how to exactly do that, I think that's another thing with our, our country. I think everybody has a, a, different, a different idea, but I think, you know, instead of getting caught up in how do we do it, let's just, let's just take some steps forward in our local communities and see, you know, like Diego's doing, like a lot of us are doing in our own little communities. And I think also getting the word out. I think, there's, I think there are a lot of people doing some really, really good things, but you just don't hear about it. You know, you're just hearing about the kids that come through the club system that, you know, and find their way through it. But it's not about, 
you know, the kids that are playing on the national team that come from poor communities. That's not why we're in this. We're in this to develop young people into, you know, people that can contribute positively to our society. And yeah, can we develop some great soccer players through it as well? Sure we can, but I don't think that can be our absolute end goal. Well, and I think you hit on something there too, is the idea that when we have these clubs that cost a lot of money, the coaches are expected to teach soccer the entire time, right? And I think, you know, and that's not a terrible thing to get to be a great soccer player, but the vast majority, I think I just saw a stat the other day, only 7% of kids, all kids playing youth sports will ever play in college anywhere, whether JC on up to D1. So that is something that when we were kids and the parents were the coaches, it was clear that the parents had a vested interest in the character of those kids because they're their kids and they're their friends' kids. But now with coaches who are training and their job is to train soccer, not to train the individual and to train character and leadership and all the things we talk about on this show that we got to learn and that we get to in, implement in our, in our lives outside the game, a lot of those lessons aren't being taught at the youth soccer, at the youth sports level. You know, and, and, and part of it too that we also talked about at the, in these interviews was the, the specialization that's happening so early. And I think that's part of it too is we're not playing on different teams. We're not playing with different coaches. We're not playing different sports that will teach different lessons that will teach, you know, that, you know, will, will help avoid burnout, that will help avoid overuse injuries, that will also help avoid, you know, I don't think it's an accident that we're seeing more and more conversation about mental health and issues there with these, with the youth sports, the clubs, the way they are, the specialization so early, the pressure on these kids to play a game at this high level, super early, man, it's, it's just this compounding effect of all these things that come together, throw in a little bit of entitlement, right? That that's, that's going on in our, in our communities that we're, you know, we, we just think we deserve these things because we grow up in a certain zip code or we do a certain thing or we have certain parents or we are, you know, we've always been the best player. Not that you've ever experienced that at a, as a college coach where people might come in and, you know, struggle because they used to always be the best. And now they're just one of many bests. And some of those best players will, won't play a minute in their four years. So, how do we take all that and go, okay, like you said, there are steps and what are the things we can celebrate that you've seen some different, you know, baby steps we can take toward getting back to where, you know, I'm not saying it was perfect when we were kids. There were a lot of issues, a lot of problems, a lot of, you know, there were parent coaches who were not the best people in the world and who weren't teaching all those lessons either. Yeah. Right? Listen, so, let's, 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 let's realize that, you know, a lot of the reasons that we've come to professional coaches in these leagues is because we've had so many volunteer parent coaches that weren't the answer either. So yes. it's not like there's one, you know, one substitutes the other in a perfect right. world. Let's be, let's be honest. You know, there, we've got to find a, a balance there. Mm -hmm. And it is about, it's always about balance. Um, but I think when we talk about specialization as well, you know, conversation the other day with a kid, I've got a former player of mine that's doing some lessons with a nine-year-old and uh, she's been introduced to the club soccer program and she loves soccer, but she does not like her select soccer program. And, you know, the parents said, well, what do we do? Do we just push her to, to because that's where she's going to get the best training, And but she just doesn't like it. She doesn't push herself. She doesn't compete. She'd rather play in the in the rec league. And, you know, our, our answer was, well, she's nine. What does she enjoy? Well, she enjoys the rec league. I said, well, <laughs> does she enjoy her private lessons? 
Well, yeah. I said, does she get quality coaching from her private lessons? Well, yeah. So you want quality coaching and you want her to have fun? You don't need select soccer at nine years old. Mm-hmm. You know, like what's the what's the goal of the select soccer program right now? You know, it sounds to me like that's going to push her out of soccer. She hates it. So I said, if you if she wants to continue playing soccer, she's at an age where she can still have fun. And at the end of the day, the kid's, you know, probably not trending to be a, a world all-star, but you know, she won't be for sure if she drops out. Yeah. But she still has an opportunity to to grow and develop if she has people pouring into her and you know, you know, she'll have, have more fun and maybe get better because she's enjoying the process. And I think, you know, I've got you know, we're a soccer family. I've got four boys. One they all play soccer, one also plays football, two play baseball. They need to enjoy other things. I think because it'll help them decide like what do they really want to do? And I like the influence of other people. I love the fact that I go to the baseball park. And listen, I'm the only American boy that never played baseball, okay? I mean, <laughs> call me whatever name you want to. That's fine. But my older brother played it. He hated it, so I never played. Mm-hmm. But my boys love it. And I love the the impact that those coaches have on them. I just sit back and laugh and cheer them on because I, I don't know enough, you know? And it, it's fun. Um, so I think without allowing your kids to try other things, you're – you're, they're missing out on opportunities to see what you know God-given talent they actually have, and you know maybe none of my kids play college athletics in any sport. I'm fine with that, you know. But, you know that's not a problem for me and Marcy. And you know I, I think that there's too much pressure on kids to be to be great. I want them to be to work hard. I want them to be good teammates. I want them to honor their coaches and respect their coaches. And what grows out of that will be awesome. And yeah. uh, that's not up to me, but I think it's it's tough to to see so many kids being pushed to do things that maybe they do or don't like. I, I get kids that walk in my door here that they get here and they finally realize they have decisions to make and that they can make decisions. And they realize, hey, I don't really like soccer that much. <laughs> you know, it was always just a tool to get to college and I did it. And now I'm kind of like, OK, what's the point now? I've gotten to college. I've got a scholarship. Yeah, I like to play, but I don't love it. And that's a tough thing to see those kids that have just been pushed by their parents to to play for a scholarship or do something. Maybe they didn't have a they didn't have any input. And I think that that we missed something there with that. I know I've kind of gone on about it, but I think it's an important topic that we talk about for our kids. And and you talk about stress and, and mental health. You know, also don't allow my kids to quit. You know, if they've committed to something, we're going to do it through the season. We get to the end of the season, we make some decisions, but we're not going to be quitters either. So just some things I think as a community and as a, as a soccer culture, I know we've talked with folks that they, there's a soccer league, was it in Houston, that he has a soccer coach put him through uh, basketball in the winter, right? They play mm-hmm. basketball, the soccer coaches coach basketball. I, I think that's an amazing idea. I think it's awesome. You know, get those kids doing other things and see how they, you know, maybe it's not their best sport, but put the best player from a soccer team on a basketball team, let them struggle a little bit. You yeah. know, like you were saying for these kids that up in college, they've all been the best of the best. And then they get here and cream rises to the top. And some of the best players in their youth programs are at the bottom of the roster. And that's a tough mm-hmm. thing to take because they've never experienced it in anything else in their life. So I think these are things we need to, to think about as not just as parents, but as coaches. You know, how do we encourage our players to to go through a little bit of struggle and strife so so that they're during a time where we can actually help them yeah through those things yeah I think some of the things we talk about on this show that we're hoping will come through is you know personally 
and I'm not going to speak for everybody who's listen, listening or has been on the show, but I'd much rather train up through these clubs great people than great players. Right? You want both, of course. But if we are just pushing through a bunch of people who can kick a ball well and have a great first touch and have, you know, be able to, you know, hit it strong with both feet and who, you know, know the game and know the different formations and know all but are jerks in the world. Like, what are we doing? Right? So, so that's where I think, and I'm not saying that that's what clubs are doing, but I think, I think that we need to put more effort and energy into the whole person, the whole player, the whole, the whole thing. Otherwise, the message being sent will be that soccer is everything or plug in the sport is everything. And all these other things are cool if you can do them, which I think is what's leading to a lot of the mental health issues that are out there. There's so much, it's a pressure cooker, literally. I've saw, I know some of my kids' friends and teammates are having anxiety attacks and panic attacks. My daughter, when she was eight, was it was pumped up so much to go to Southern California and play in tournaments. She got there and hyperventilated on the field. And we you know, thought she might have asthma because she couldn't breathe. But I'm like, she couldn't breathe after like a minute on the field. That's not an asthma attack. That's something else going on, yeah. right? And what the heck, right? Like, what? That's insane. It's completely insane. But these eight-year-olds are feeling that pressure. And if eight-year-olds are feeling it, then 18-year-olds who are getting paid money to do this. And I was listening to another podcast recently, and it was talking about the idea that people's maturity and character is not equal to the position that they're put in and the leadership that they're given too early. And I think too often we're putting these kids into positions that their maturity and their character is not developed yet to be able to make these decisions. We're expecting 17, 18-year-olds to make adult decisions when we haven't prepared them for that at all. Yeah, I think that the point of the preparation piece is, is critical, is that you know, they get to a certain age and they're like, oh, you're an adult. Well, you're not right. allowed them as, as a kid. I was just saying this a minute ago, like allow kids to make decisions that in their mind seem big mm-hmm. while they have the hand-holding opportunity of a parent or a coach to help them through that decision process. And you're right, you know, kids are, or young adults are being put in leadership positions they're not ready for because they've never had to actually lead. They've never actually had to make decisions or feel the, the repercussions of a good or bad decision and in a safe way. Right in a safe way as a, as a young person. I think those are things that we we struggle with as parents is try to put our kids in situations where you know they can either succeed or fail based on their decisions. But failing isn't you know isn't detrimental to their life or detrimental to their you know cur- future careers. It's it's little things here and there. What are what are the decisions that you're going to make on a on a daily basis to do or not do? But I think that's how we have to prepare. I mean, let's not forget you know we're not too far away from a generation where kids were working on their their parents farms that as soon as they could could walk and lift a lift a shovel and by the time they were 15 they were running the farm you know so we're not far from that we're not that far from those generations but we're at a point now where we've got 22 and 23 year olds that are entering the world who don't have a clue they don't know what to do when their boss tells them they've done a bad job because through college everyone just protected them mm-hmm. so some things that, you know, that, and that comes to entitlement. We're encouraging that entitlement of like, hey, I can kind of do 
whatever, I'll be fine and I'll be protected. And at some point that disappears and we've got to prepare uh, young people for that, for that environment moving forward. And that can start, that can start as young as, as, you know, whatever a kid's comfortable with or a family is comfortable with. But I think it's, if we're turning it to coaches, we've got to put kids in situations in, in training where, where they do fail. If you've got a great player that is just dominating, can you find an opportunity on another team in a training environment where they're not going to be the best player? You know, mm-hmm. uh, our girls, when we send them off for the summer, we say, hey, can you maybe not go back to your the younger girls' teams in your club? Can you find an older men's team to play with where it's going to be really hard for you to be successful? You know, when you have success, you'll realize, man, I had to work extremely hard for that. So creating opportunities and environments for, for young people to succeed and fail, I think, is where we're kind of missing the boat. We're trying to protect, we're in that, you know, kind of pillowcase and pillows where we're just protecting everybody from falling down and mm-hmm. um, skimming their knee. Uh, sometimes you need to skim your knee. Yeah. So. You know, it's funny you say that because we're t- it's, it'll be a good transition to the Ted Lasso conversation. We're now we're, we're going to be talking about season one still. I realize when this releases, season two will have been out for months. So we're, we're going to talk about that later. But there is this one little thing that reminded me of it when you said that is when Isaac is is struggling in, 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 the, in season two. And, you know, Ted asks Roy to help him out and he takes him out to the field and basically gets knocked down by these dudes out in the men's league. And he's like, what's going on? What are you doing? And basically making it tough, making it hard to succeed. What does that look like? How can we do that? You know, and I, and I think that you are, with the warrior way, teaching these principles early on. How can we intentionally incorporate principles into the teaching and the coaching and the clinics and these different things that we're doing that are beyond just the X's and O's of, of the game? right? That are, that are beyond these things. There are ways we can do that. It can be a both. And like you said, parents are not the answer. Heck, how many different, you know, meetings do we have to have because parents are completely gone off the reservation with a lot of these things, right? So I'm not saying that parent coaches are the answer. That could be even worse sometimes because then there's all kinds of other issues. But what I am saying is there are principles that we talk about on this show. The reason we do this show is because there are things we can learn from this game that can help us through everything we do in life. But this game could also be, like I said, a cauldron that people come out of worse for the wear. And man, what a, what a shame that is when I see these kids hating the game at 16, 17 years old. And it's not the game they're hating, it's everything that came with it. And some of them, five, ten years later, get back into it and just have a joy that you've never seen before because they see it as a game again, right, where you can learn stuff from. So with that, there is this great show that we've been talking about, you know, Ted Lasso, which which won every Emmy I think they could have won, and except for the ones they had the same people in for, you know, whatever. And I, that shows that, it, you know, it was good acting, it was good writing. But what we're talking about here are the leadership lessons we can get from it. And so we're, we're talking about today is episodes seven and eight. We talked a little earlier. These are kind of the dramatic episodes, right? I mean, it's a comedy, but it's a drama comedy. Some of the other, a lot of the breakdowns, a lot of the, <laughs> the, the other things that it's like, man, this is heavy. But there are a couple little tidbits that I want to talk about and see what you want to bring out too. But at the beginning of episode seven, it was right after Jamie Tart was basically sent back to Manchester City. He was on loan, and they took him back because he wasn't playing. You know, Ted wasn't playing for a couple games. And the reporters ask him, they say, hey, Ted, what do you think about Tart going back to Man City? And he says, you know, it actually breaks my heart a little. 
I think one of the neatest things about being a coach is the connection you get to make with your players. That's a loss that hit me, hits me a lot harder and is going to stay with me a lot longer than anything happens while playing a game on a patch of grass. What do you think about that? As- it hits home, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that you know the majority of the coaches that get into coaching, they're in it for the relationships with the players. They're not, at least not initially, in it for the, the wins and the losses. Well, for the wins, they're not in it for the losses for sure, but they're definitely not, <laughs> not getting into it for the wins. They're not getting into it for the pay. They're getting into it for the relationships. They, at some point, they're like they recognize the relationship that they had with a coach, a mentor that they want to pass on, and I think that does a great job with that. And I think that it's one of the things I think, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, is that I think as coaches, I think we always need to self-check ourselves as to why we're doing what we do, and you know, why did I get into this? You know, and, and am I still in it for the same reason? Do I need to be in it for the same reason? But I think you know. It's the relationships. You know, I've always said that a coach that has a hard time walking away from a team, like in transition, another opportunity, if it's easy, I don't think they've been doing it the right way. Hmm. You know, if it's hard, it should be hard to leave, even if it's a, a better opportunity somewhere else. Um, you know, it, it should be hard to break those bonds with those those players if you've been doing it the right way. And I think I totally felt for for Ted because we've all had players that have left either they've transferred for one reason or another, or they've had a career-ending injury and had to stop playing, or, or, or even just through graduation, there's certain kids like, gosh, I'm just not ready for that kid to leave yet. You know, so I think, I think it kind of epitomizes what and why we all, at least initially, get into, into coaching or, or for those relationships. Yeah, you know, and as I think about taking this to the world outside the game too, right? I mean, it, it, if we're doing it right, I think it does become like a family. It becomes like, you know, it's, it's a group, it's a community. I think about, about it like the churches that I've been a part of. And I remember when I was leaving a church in Atlanta, the one that we helped launch, we were part of the launch team of this church. So there was a small group. It was probably 30 or 40 people that were just, you know, we became like family to them. Still, still are. People I still talk with and, and connect with. And, and when I was, the pastor of that church was driving me to the airport and he says, Phil, when you leave a church, it should feel like a divorce. It should hurt. If you, you know, it, it should be something that there's pain. You know, and 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 it, and we were going to California. We weren't going to a different church or whatever in Atlanta. We were going to California, moving, and it was right and it was good and it was exactly what we were supposed to be doing. And for you know, fifteen, actually seventeen years later now, I can say the same thing. Like that, yes, it it was right and good, but it still hurt, right? It was this. This because something you're you're leaving something that you're a part of, right? And so to hear that, and the other thing I like about that that quote is he said, "Is the connection you get to make with your players, right? It was a get to versus have to. This this thing I think we've talked about on the show. If we haven't, then if we see things as have tos, I have to go to work, I have to go coach, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to make relationships with my players, it's going to be a duty thing and you're going to burn out. It's not going to be something that's going to last. When you see it as get to, it changes everything. It changes yeah. everything. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's back to the point of, I think that's where we have to continually check ourselves as coaches, you know, and, and or, or business leaders or, or whatever it is, you know, kind of what you're mentioning is that once it becomes a have to, then, you know, kind of the effect that you're going to have on those around you is going to be a lot different, you know, because you kind of feel like you're being forced to do something as opposed to you choosing uh, to do it. And I think that it's, there's a big difference in that. And that's a good point that you've made there, Phil. So the other thing it talks about 
or that it hits on, doesn't necessarily talk about it, is, you know, we as coaches are coaching, well, hopefully we're coaching ourselves, right? Hopefully there's a self-leadership. As John Maxwell said, the hardest person to coach is yourself or to lead is yourself, I think was his actual thing, but we're going to talk about coaching here. And then there's coaching the team, which we all know. We put the, the, we have their whiteboards and we talk about formations and we do the starting lineups. But then there's this idea of coaching the player, the individual, that there's a bunch of individuals on the team that if we're not coaching each of them well, it's going to be hard to coach the team well. And there will be breakdown and there will be conflict. There will be issues. It's why we did the disc training, right? The idea of disc training is you understand self first, then you can understand others, then you can work together better and you can have better performance as a team, right? But if it doesn't start with the self and then if it doesn't start with you understanding each of those individual players, as you talked about, you go into team, you know, one-on-one meetings, you go into talking to the players. If there's conflicts, you can we can even refer to these things. But it's coaching those pl- the player, right? And how important have you seen that, that being over the years in your coaching, that, that importance of understanding each individual that makes up this greater team? Well, I think it's, it's, it's crucial, those individual relationships. You know, I think the, the times that we've slipped away from making that important are, are years that we've struggled, maybe not instantly, but at least in the, in the long run. And I think I think we do a good job. Just I think we see the importance of getting to know players individually, because I think if you're coaching, you know, a team, you know, and you're just coaching the team, you may get to a couple people based on your personality, maybe matching theirs, but you're going to miss more than you hit. And I think you've got to understand each kid and how the, you know, what are their hot buttons, what are the things that motivate them, and what are the things that shut them down, and recognizing those things and having it, you know, a good read on uh, each individual to know maybe you've said and said something to the team as a whole that has gotten to the majority but you know there are a couple that maybe don't don't understand what you've said and you you approach them separately because you know them well enough to know okay they, they didn't get that message you know and I think understanding as a coach that a lot of times when you're talking to a team the points that you're making to the team are usually for a couple different people and usually those aren't the ones that hear it you know, you're making a, a tough point to the team and the ones that need to hear it have their ears off and the ones that think you're talking to them, you're not talking to them, you know. <laughs> so you've got to hone in on those individual needs and concerns of the players. But most importantly, I mean, and, and this goes to a lot of what we're talking about goes into the, the disc things, is that you've got to know yourself as a coach too and you've got to know how you're coming across, how your communication style is, is coming out of your mouth because you're going to hear it. You're going to hear yourself one way. Uh, and the others are going to hear you differently. So you need to know how you're speaking, how you communicate. And obviously part of communication is, is talking. The other side is listening. So how are you listening um, to what others are saying also? As a coach, it's not just about you doing what I'm doing right now and talking a lot. There's a lot of listening involved as well. So, But that individual relationship is, is crucial. And we talked about it a, a bit ago where you know, there's certain kids, you, you build great relationships, and they're going on to, to take on their life. You're excited for them, but at the same time, you're like, wow, we had a, have a great relationship. We're going to miss this piece of it here. I'm excited about what you're going on to do, but we'll miss that that piece of them them here. So there's a lot of drama in these episodes, going back to episode seven, eight, right? So Ted's dealing with his divorce. He's going through the divorce papers, has a mental breakdown, and lashes out at some of his, his coaches, players, whatever. And, you know, that was one thing that I saw. This, you know, it's a pretty simple thing, but something we don't do very often is when we're unhealthy, going back to personality style, when we're unhealthy in our personality style, the, the, the flip side of that personality that Ted has is, you know, the very high, high, very low lows, 
right? And in those low lows, and I, I get it, I'm, I'm probably wired very similar to that character, right? And those low lows, you tend to lash out at people. And I don't know if you remember in the episode, Nate comes to his door and he's like, hey, I'm coming to give you the thoughts that you asked me for. And he just yells at him and says, you know, just get away, just get out. It's late or whatever. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he basically just kicked him out. But what he did, which was really cool, which is, doesn't happen often enough, is when he was, when he realized it, when he was self-aware and realized I just lashed out at him, he went and apologized. He owned it. He took responsibility. He didn't just say, hey, I'm the leader. I can do that. Forget all those other people. He said, I blew it. You know? And how many, how many times have we, you know, I know have talked about this in our parenting, in our marriages, the power of the I'm sorry, the power of the apology. You know, even if the other person did a bunch of things to deserve it, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, maybe he did come too late. Maybe it should have been something he should have done earlier, but that doesn't matter. I blew it, right? And I know my, you know, my kids have come back to me and said, that meant a lot. Thank you. But how have you seen that play out? What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think as a leader, he's modeling something very important that we hope you know, when you talk about in parenting or, or leadership, whether it's a team or a business or whatever, you're modeling the behavior that you, you want to see within your organization. And I think it's important to also understand as a, as a leader, and this gets back to knowing the people that you work with, knowing your, your players, knowing their personalities, you know, they're going to have those moments too. And where a player may lash out and, and you've got to, to understand, okay, that's not, normal let's get to the let's get to the root of that you know and let's figure out what that looks like and that's a teachable moment where if they're not coming back to apologize there's a, a moment to bring someone in and say hey let's I understand maybe something's going on that's not you you know it's not not what I've traditionally come to 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 think I get from you as a as a as a player or a, a worker or whatever so while we understand ourselves can be that way we've got to be compassionate to those around us and that's why it's important that if we do that we are modeling what we want them to do also. So that apology that you're know, bringing them in to say, Hey, I, I totally messed up on that one. I, I, you know, I apologize. Can you forgive me? That sort of thing. So I think that's, I think that's important that he's modeling what he would, he would expect of his players. And I think we, we have an opportunity as leaders to, to do that as well. And parents. Absolutely. Bosses. I mean, whatever, right. In any relationship you have, I mean, that, that's, a, it's such a powerful I mean, really, even, I mean, you've seen movies, you've seen things, and you've seen probably in your own life. Sometimes it's even hard to say that word because it is powerful, right? You see the, you know, it's joke around, I'm, I can't say it, you know, whatever. You've seen that. I mean, I've seen it. I mean, I'm not going to put that on you that you've seen it, but I'm assuming you have. You just see that. It's like the, that and I love you are probably the two things that are really powerful. And I think it's really interesting that those two things are probably the hardest things for people to say because what they are, they're both vulnerable words. Right? They, they put yourself out there. I'm sorry says in, in that, those two words, it's I was wrong. I blew it. I, I, I need to do things differently. You know, like that's a lot of stuff to, to lay out there, right? I love you obviously has a bunch of other stuff too. But that's something that I, I, I saw in that. And, and so, you know, these the, these two episodes also have two of my favorite scenes in all of Ted Lasso. See if you can guess what they are. Do you have any idea what I'm referring to? I, I don't know where you're going with that one. You got to enlighten you us. You don't? Oh, man. Okay. All right. So one is a locker room scene. Do you know what I'm talking about now? 
<laughs> you gotta keep before coming. the Everton game. So before the Everton game, when Nate did come and give him his thoughts, oh, Ted said, "Oh yes, 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 yes." Nate, so what am Nate I talking about? Giving his thoughts. Yes. 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 He says you're giving the pregame talk. So what this did? Yes, the pregame talk was was you know pretty awesome. He basically just roasted everyone, laid everyone out, and I love Danny Rojas. Roast me, roast me. <laughs> but you know he's like tough but fair. But he laid into it. Wasn't so much what he said. What the lessons that I took out of it from a leadership perspective, one was Ted empowering him to do it and saying, you know, you can do this. No, 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 no. Yes, you can't go. You can do this. The other thing I saw was Roy, when he comes up to Roy Kent and he's, and he starts, you know, he, he started, he was reading everything and Roy takes the paper, crumples it up, throws it down and says, look me in the eye and say it to my face. Tell me what you think. And it was this, this idea of, you know, this is what leaders do. This is what, if you're going to be my coach and I'm going to respect you, you need to actually not be just reading, hiding behind a paper, but you need to share from your heart. You need to share what you really believe and you need to tell me to my face. I think there's, there were power in both of those things. And, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that from the, from the coach side. Yeah, I mean, he was empowered not only by, by Ted, but by Roy. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what mm-hmm. you're saying. I mean, you think in the moment that Roy is stepping up to like, "Hey, say it to my face," and I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock you out. But at the end of the day, he turns around to the team and is like, "Let's go!" Right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of what ends up happening. So that empowerment moment for him is huge. He got the, you know, the support of not only of the coach but, you know, of the captain. And you also see that kind of in that moment too. And it's been building. But you see in that moment also, Ted and Roy are on the same page. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden you're seeing that that community come together and that bond that as it's shaping through the through the season, uh, you're seeing more and more of that. But as a coach, you know, you're looking for as you're as a coach, you're not only building up uh, players, but there's times where you're coaching coaches. And I think that in that that saying that uh, someone's always watching uh, what you're doing. It's not just your players, it's your coaches. How do you manage your coaches? How do you communicate with them? Finding the right moments to empower them. Had he done that earlier in the season when, you know, he was being made fun of a ton, it wouldn't have worked out. But he had slowly given him responsibilities and slowly given him, it wasn't like he just showed up that day and, and made him talk to the team. You know, that was right. a gradual process that we can't look past also. Is it managing those responsibilities when someone's ready to to, to take them. And I think that's a pretty, pretty cool scene. I'd kind of forgotten about that one. Yeah. And also, I mean, we talked about this before. Sometimes the messenger is as important as the message. Mm-hmm. Who says something? If, if Ted would have said all those things or Roy would have said all those things or, you know, maybe if Ted did, but like if Beard would have said those things, it wouldn't have had the same impact. But because it's this dude who's the equipment boy turned, you know, whatever, it was powerful. And so I think that that was, that was something as well that, you know, sometimes you as the coach pass the mic to somebody else, you know, give that other person the opportunity to say things because first of all, it will empower them. Secondly, it might have way more impact than, you know, I know when my wife gets on the upset side and starts yelling, it has much more impact than when dad who yells often, believe it or not, I yell in my house. I mean, I know. I know it shocks you. So, yeah, but, you know, it happens every so often. But when she does it, it has more impact because it doesn't happen as often. 
And so I think that that's something that we need to take as leaders to say, all right, sometimes pass the mic, sometimes just give the opportunity, give the stage to somebody else, whether it's halftime talks, whether pregame talks, whether it's during practice, whether it's whatever, you don't have to be the mouthpiece all the time and you shouldn't be the mouthpiece all, piece all the time. And as you've done on your team and those one-on-one meetings, coaching the players to understand who are the people that connect the best with each player, let's go with them and let's have, let's, let's assign them to those people. And, and that's the empowering, that's the, it's delegation. It's not abdication. Delegation is, is critical, critical component to great leadership. So the kind of going into episode eight and we're going to finish up uh, pretty quick. We're going to finish up quicker on these, on this episode. But one of the things that I, that you can't miss, well, you can miss it, but it's hard to miss is that Ted has the pyramid of success on his wall. I think we've talked about it before, but they actually go up to it in that episode and focus on it and somebody looks at it. That was something that his coach in high school talked a lot about John Wooden and the pyramid of success. Jason Sudeikis is coach, not Ted Lasso's. And that's one of the things that he said, I want to make sure that's there because that was, I thought, really cool that he's a guy who playing a role of a coach who has an impact on these players and this actor, his high school coach had such an impact on him that he remembers this thing that he wants to honor him. And he basically, a lot of the character is based on this guy, just the way he cared deeply about the players. And that's that's the impact a coach can have, right? Yeah, and I think we, you know, I mentioned it earlier, sometimes people get into coaching because of a, a relationship they had with a coach, saw the impact, and they want to, to replicate that. But it doesn't have to show up in, in coaching, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's doing it as an actor. He's doing it. You know, there are a lot of great business leaders that take take examples from their, their coaches growing up in whatever sport they played and take those those lessons uh, into the corporate world. And I think that's, that's something that we, we miss, again, going back to, you know, if we think that we're, if we're doing it just for the player that comes through and ends up on a national team or plays professionally, then we're missing, you know, 99% of the kids that grew up to be people impacting our communities in probably more impactful ways, quite honestly, than the professional athlete. And I think that's something we've got to grab hold of. And I think that's why it's so important, again, looping all the way back around to impacting our communities for, for those who can't afford the coaching. Those, those kids need, need those influences maybe even more. And they need those those positive mentors in their lives so that they can go on and be positive impacts in, in their community. And whether it's a professional athlete or just, you know, whatever it is that God has for them. But I think that's, that's kind of a full circle piece there. Phil, well done for that. But I think it's, it is cool to see Sudeikis, you know, kind of taking, realizing the impact that a coach had, you know, on his life and honoring that that man through this character is pretty, pretty cool. And I think it gives us a great perspective as coaches to remember that, you know, there's 99% of the players that we're coaching that are not going to go on to be professional athletes and are going to, but are going to impact our communities in, in one way, shape or form. And we have a massive responsibility to be a positive impact on them. Yeah. I mean, think about that high school coach. He had no idea that coaching high school basketball was going to end up turning into this actor who gets this job as a coach that's going to take the world by storm, right? Just 
That's pretty cool. I wish I was smart enough to have intentionally done that full circle, but thanks for thanks for being a great uh, teammate <laughs> and bringing it that 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 home. All right, two more things. One is just a just an aside. One of my favorite quotes was Danny Rojas. I mean, it's not uh, this guy. I love this dude. I mean, who doesn't like Danny Rojas? But you know, when when Keeley's talking to him about what kind of products he wants to wants to you know spon- be a sponsor for, and he goes, I, I just like. I like products that spread joy to others. And she's like, well, I don't know how, how much that will pay. And he says, I like to give away joy for free. You know, right. So it was this, <laughs> and I, but it was really funny, but at the same time, it's like, we need those players on our teams. We need those players who will give away joy for free and will encourage others to be joyful and to remember the fun side, remember the joy that should be coming out of this game. So that was just a little aside. And then the last need thing. need more Danny Rojas. Oh, yes, yes, especially if they're really good like him. And that's always a bonus. Boy, the last thing is, but remember that highs and highs and lows and lows, you know, of that personality style as we see in season two as well with Danny, but not to get ahead of ourselves. All right, the last thing, my second, one of my other scenes of the Ted Lasso series is the dark game with Rupert that Ted had where mm. Rupert, they basically have a bet about Rupert being in the owner's box and and either he can't be there or he gets to pick the next two starting lineups. And, and Ted says, they go through the whole game. It turns out he played a lot of darts as a kid. And at the end, he says, he says, you know, I've been underestimated my entire life. That used to bother me until I saw a Walt Whitman quote when I was driving my kid to school one day. It said, be curious, not judgmental. If people were curious, you know, they'd ask things like, did you play a lot of darts as a kid, Ted? Right, you know, and so it was a cool scene, but I like that idea of be curious. It's it's really that humble posture that we've talked about. In that scene, Rupert, the ex-husband of the owner of the club, clearly did not have a curious, humble posture coming into that game. He thought, I'm the I'm a better dart player. This guy's an idiot. There's no way he can beat me and didn't even, and we, we get that way as, you know, how many games have you lost that you should have won or come out with a draw that you should have won? And how many games have you won that you should have lost, right? Because, and, it, and how many of those times was it because you went in overconfident? You went in not curious about, oh, maybe this person, maybe a couple of these players are playing out of their minds right now. Maybe, you know, they have, they match up better against us. That's what scouting is all about, right? Is this humble posture of, you know, this is something that we can't make assumptions about people based on different things that we just assume or that we're judging them because they came from a certain background or they came from a certain club or they're whatever it is, right? There's, there's not only outliers, but there's also, you know, people take us, you know, people surprise us, right? And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But how have you seen that play out as far as that idea of be curious, not judgmental in, in coaching well, I think, and I think recruiting and life? Yeah. I mean, it's all over the place here. I think it's, that's a huge, uh, huge thing, I think, in relationships. And I think if that's what, well, that is kind of what we're doing here is we're building relationships with, with players, not just us and players, but players and players. And seeing that play out of, you know, you've got a, a stud kid that's coming, you know, a lot built up about her coming in. And, you know, the initial thing before the girls usually get to know that player is, oh, okay, she's going to be a certain way because she's, 
the star, the coaches that have a lot of have high expectations of her and they're building her up and whatnot, and you know, making sure they're giving her a chance to you know to see whether they really like her or not. And more times than not, they end up being a great kid and you know ends up being fine. But you see that a lot with kids coming in. You know, they're being sized up by the veterans before they even walk in the door, and mm-hmm. uh, we try to measure that and temper that. Um, and start building those relationships early on. But we can do that as coaches too. You know, we can build up, you know, players in our minds to be a certain way. And again, not asking enough questions, not not finding out what really makes them tick and not really finding out the best ways to communicate with them so that we can set them up for success. So being curious is a, a definite big, big time impactful statement when building relationships. Definitely. All right, ma'am. Well, another Ted Lasso halftime show that was about half Ted Lasso, so maybe that's appropriate, is, is coming to a close. It's always bittersweet. Love these conversations with you. Love being able to share these thoughts with you folks out there. And, you know, as, as we wrap up, you know, I, we talk about wanting to engage more with you. And I, and I will tell you, you folks, that some of our guests are people just that have reached out and asked some questions, and I got to know them and said, hey, this would be a great conversation. You want to be on the show. Others are people that have reached out and said, hey, there's there's this person that I think you should interview and I've been able to interview him and it's been an amazing conversations. And also just people asking questions that I've become friends with and helping them in different ways with different questions and they've helped me with different things. And again, that be curious idea, it, it, it often starts with just sending an email or, you know, and reaching out in some way. And I, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, reach out to me, Phil, at howsoccerexplainsleadership.com would love to chat with you about any of these issues we're talking about. If you have some questions about, you know, your journey in in the soccer world or your kids or or, you know, things in your leadership as a organizational leader and your in different areas of your life, I'd love to be able to connect with you. And if it's something Paul can help out with, we can reach out to him as well. But it's something that we take it seriously. We're not just doing this to get download numbers. We're doing this to make relationships and to connect with people and hopefully encourage and inspire and equip you to, to be able to, to take everything you're doing to the next level, whether it's leading different things, whether it's in your marriages and your parenting and your soccer game, whatever it is, that that's our hope for this. So with that, you know, reach out to us on the email, join the Facebook group, rate and review the show. So more people can hear about it. The most that you can be doing, the biggest thing you can be doing to spread this show is if it helping you share it with some people that you think it will help. Share it with people in your club. Share it with people that you work with, you know, because I know it's helped me to interview these people I've been able to talk with. I know it helps me to have these conversations with Paul. So hopefully it's helping you as well. And I encourage you to share that with people that you know. And with that, I do hope that you're... Oh, and also, the last thing um, I'm going to talk about, Warrior Way. Look that up with Paul. Paul, remind me of the website on that. It's jobsonsoccer.com. All right, jobsonsoccer.com is Paul's last name, soccer.com. And and then the DISC training. If it's something that you are interested in the DISC, Model of Human Behavior, you heard us talk a little bit about it here. If you're at all interested in that, send me an email at that same email address I talked about earlier. And with that, hope that you're taking all that you're learning from the show and you're helping using it to help you be a better leader, a better parent, a better spouse, and a better everything that you're doing. And we do hope that you're taking what you're learning from this show and it is reminding you that soccer really does explain life and leadership thanks a lot have a great week